Today, we are going to focus on the environment. Our world is currently facing a climate crisis that will affect us all. The projections are grim. From mass extinction of the animal kingdom to mass migration, over 800 million people in the most vulnerable regions impacted by increased droughts, floods, heat waves, extreme weather events, and sea level rises. This is only the tip of the iceberg if we don't prevent the global warming of 1.5 degrees Celsius. What can we do as educators? Let's listen. Hello, friends. Welcome back to The Traveling Teacher. I got a special edition today. Uh, Duncan is joining me. We are currently in Sarajevo. Mm -hmm. uh, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from, Duncan? Um, hey, guys. So my name is Duncan. I'm from Perth in Western Australia, um, born in South Africa, and then immigrated when I was 12. Um, and yeah, currently traveling around Europe with my girlfriend. Fabulous. Yeah, well, I actually want to ask you about that because you're on this amazing journey across the world for two years. But I'm so curious about, the, you know, the outdoor education and what you do in Perth with students. So can you just describe a little bit, like, what, what, what do you do for that? Yeah, sure. So I guess my official title um, would be outdoor education, outdoor education or um, a guide or instructing. Um, and so what I have done predominantly is freelance outdoor instructing. Mm -hmm. So I'd work for um, different schools and companies taking boys and girls in either same sex or um, co-ed schools on, on camps or expeditions. Um, students start from uh, eight, nine years old, all the way through to 15, 16. Um, and for most of it, it is a co-curricular. So it's part of what the school offers their students as a whole package, along with maths and science and English, um, to really fulfill sort of a holistic education and not just the base subjects. That is like what I, I love hearing because I feel in like the United States especially, we don't really get to have these opportunities for students to push their understandings, especially when it talks about like, like outdoor education. And so like you mentioned this is like part of the, the kind of the Australian curriculum. Um, so it can be. So different schools do it differently. Um, so there's public and private schooling and there's a difference in that itself. Um, it can be part of the curriculum and then it's graded and marked accordingly with exams as well. But then there is also the co-curricular side where it adds that holistic element to it. Um, yeah, so and, and the kids work, uh, they decide if they want to do it as a subject um, and then they are obviously really into that. That's what they want to do and they can be assessed on it. And generally they do really well. You might get the odd one two kids who choose that over doing maths, but they quickly fall to the weight side because they're not there for the right reasons. But by and large, the kids want to be there. Um, so, yeah. And so what's like a, a typical uh, experience, expedition that the students get to go on? Um, so my experience is predominantly in the, in the private school sector, so mm -hmm. I'll speak from that. Sure. Um, so a typical experience would be between eight to ten days um, hiking out in somewhere beautiful in Western Australia. One of the, the favourite spots for me is the Ningaloo Reef and Exmouth area. So the kids will do a 10 or 11 day expedition where they'll do three days of hiking, incorporating uh, a day of rock climbing and abseiling. 
Um, and then a couple of days sea kayaking along the uh, Ningaloo Reef, which is one of the largest uh, fringing reefs in the world and one of the last fully living reefs in the world as well. So that's another another podcast episode in itself. <laughs> I'm pretty passionate about the ocean. Um, and then a couple of days in the Gulf, which is a breeding ground for um, humpback whales as well. So they do all of their own camp cooking. They sleep in tents with their peers. Um, they are self-managing as well. Um, and they go throughout this expedition, generally in groups of 14, 15, with two outdoor education staff and then also a teacher from school. So that adds that pastoral care element as well. And what are you hoping that the students have come away with? Um, for me, it's multifaceted. Um, the school have you know, a list of outcomes that they would like to achieve. Sure. For me, it's for the students to have a unique experience. I've worked with a lot of other students from, you know, disadvantaged areas and they have an amazing time just going to the beach because it's their first time mm -hmm. seeing the ocean. For these students, they are of a certain privilege and so I expect to see that um, they're at least putting in the effort um, that their parents would want them to be putting, but then also to actually understand why they're there. I'll often ask the students, why do you think your mum and dad send you to this school? Why do you think this school believes in this program? Um, and by and large, the, the students really dig into it and, and speak about uh, their thoughts. For me, I really enjoy seeing them learn about themselves, mm -hmm. especially at that age group, right at the very end, so 15, 16-year-old. They're young men or ladies now as well. Yeah. And, and so they're learning about themselves, but how they work in a team, how they um, give out orders or, or sort of requests because they take on a leadership role, um, but then also how they receive that as well. So, for example, Fred might be leading on day one and two, but then Johnny's leading on day three and four. And so those roles reversed are super interesting to watch. And then at the end of every evening, we'll have, have a bit of a debrief and a chat and talk about it. And it's, you know, very open, honest, um, and trusting circle to have a chat about that. And I think like the fact that you're in in nature being really immersed in these top in these, you know, the areas and also having them engage in leadership opportunities makes them reflect on maybe more than they would in just in the classroom, in the school? Yeah, I think it's an amazing vessel. Um, firstly, they're seeing a different area. Um, some of the spots we go to, no one else goes to that we know of at all. Um, but they're swimming with turtles in the ocean. And then we'll ask that even, how does that make you feel? Mm. And, and really digging deep with these students. You know, a couple of groups will really dig deep. Um, we've had students who have spoken about new vulnerability and there are a couple of amazing podcasts about that and we've had some like I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it but we had some insane like conversations with these students these young men and women um and that's just all coming from that vessel of being in the outdoors challenging themselves for example rock climbing um abseiling and canyoning and that really pushes that away all of these sort of um, masks that people might wear and really exposes people for better or worse, but it shows who they truly are and how they might react or learn from that situation as well. And it sounds like they're really building the skill of empathy, which is so important, right, for empathy for, towards each other, 
empathy towards the environment. Yeah. Uh, and, and and I'd love to hear like like how do those like your debriefs to at the end? Because like that's such a crucial part to like really sink in that message. How does that become part of the the day's routine? Yeah. Um. I guess. Initially, when I started doing the work, um, the debrief, it almost felt quite regimented. Mm-hmm. Um, I would almost think back to like what the army would do. They'd run a, a special op and then we'd have a debrief. And I was like, oh, I don't like that vibe. Unfortunately, we still use the word and it is it is just the term used. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a conversation. Mm-hmm. I think it would be uh, rem- remiss of us to have all these amazing experiences and then not talk about it afterwards. Yeah. Um, because the talking about it at the time, um, it's an active thing. We, we bring it up with the students and we talk about it. But then we often find the actual thinking and the learning and the growth happens four days later. We'll be hiking along the track and I'll be hiking along in my own head somewhere and then I'll just think about just like, whoa, this happened and we had this experience. And chances are the students are as well. And we've had... I'll, I'll be hiking along and one of the students will be behind me and he'll be like, oh, oh Duncan, when we did this, how, how did we go about that or why did we do this? And, and you can see that they're thinking about it. Um, and, that, and that's huge. That's huge for me. There's nothing, I think, more special, at least in my mind, than seeing students starting to really think about something critically and like the awareness popping up in their, in their brains. It's that the questioning about the larger concepts in the world, I think, that are so important. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think you said that it's so right that, like, especially a lot of the students in the private schools have this incredible privilege. And with that comes, I think, a, a huge amount of importance to be incredibly aware and also act actively to dismantle some of these systems that oppress, whether it's minority groups or whether it's, like, our environment. And I'm curious, like, how you know, maybe this, you know, these kind of programs allow these students to maybe, like, maybe I'm going to not be investing in oil and rather be an activist for the environment. I'm curious, like, yeah. what, what have you seen towards that? Or, yeah, yeah, it's, it's incredible. Um, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is I was um, up in this area, up in the north, northwest part of WA, and... Um, so I'm uh, now vegan yeah. um, and was vegetarian back then. Um, so um, but we were having this conversation with a student and his uh, parents own um, a dairy, a, a dairy company in the southern part of Western Australia. And it was, it was quite a, an interesting conversation because they all, the students always ask, why are you vegetarian? Or why are you vegan? And it's a tough topic because I don't want to be the person that's preaching Mm. um, or or telling people you have to do this or you have to do that. But I don't want to lie to them or omit from that either. So I I said, well, uh, for me, it's environmental, first of all, um, the impacts, etc. And for him, it was really interesting because his parents are doing the right thing by sending him to this school um, and they believe in it. But the money they are earning is from that industry. So, and I'm earning an income from their wages in a long way round. So, I hope that it makes them think about it. He has a brother who has no interest in joining the farm at all, but he's absolutely going to join the farm. 
So I'd, I'd love to know how far back that thought train went for him. The, board, the students being in the environments that we take them to, I think um, we can show them amazing places um, and, and truly amazing places. Mm. Just search Western Australia and it's like a postcard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and shameless plug. Um, but I'm going. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Let, let me know. Yeah. Um, but I guess for me, I'm uh, like a. I don't know, like a, a subtle activist in, in that way. Like I'd, I'd rather be able to share my knowledge with these students and hopefully empower them to at least have the information and the facts at hand and then they can make a decision from there. Whether that's to do whatever, great, but at least they are more informed maybe than they were, from, than, than they were before. And I think that, like, that's our role right? as educators is so crucial. Yeah. Let's make them aware of what is happening. Let's give them this information and... Uh, and also lead by example. I think your veganism is an inspiration. I, you know, recently become a vegetarian, and I'm, you know, I, I, I'm hoping to be vegan by the end of the year as well. Nice. Actually, I have a student who may be listening here. He, <laughs> me and him, debate made a pack. Brian, this is for you uh, <laughs> about going towards a veganism because right. you know it's it's so crucial to be aware of our environment and, yeah. and be purposeful about what we do. Uh, and I think it's like the final question I'd love to hear, just like with your expertise, you know, a lot of this, you know, our public schools don't necessarily have the resources to do these, you know, these grand 10 uh, day expeditions. Mm -hmm. and, but, you know, we can do a day expedition or uh, something like what would you recommend like as something that would really you know, allow for this kind of uh, experiences for students who maybe don't have that, that for sure. Yeah. Um, there are so many uh, local clubs and local organizations. Um, you don't need to have, go to these amazing remote lo locations mm -hmm. to find yourself in a, in a nature spot. I think anywhere in the world, even in the middle of Paris, you can find an amazing, beautiful, quiet forest to just take it in. And you could literally sit on the ground, close your eyes and just listen, take in the smells and the sounds around you. And then you can personally take it as far as you want. You can investigate clubs or um, walking groups. You can wear just your normal running shoes or whatever shoes you have and go for a walk in a, a national park, even for two kilometres. And I think more and more governments and, and local governments specifically are seeing the benefit in that, in that ecotourism and our I think pouring money into making more trails available and showing the people of what's out there. And it's not a for-profit thing. There's no ticket booth at the beginning of every trail. Just take a map, look at it on your phone, take some water, a hat, and, and go and enjoy it. You don't have to do this amazing thing to have an experience. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we don't have to all climb Mount Everest just to have these extreme things. Um, and you don't have to, you don't have to be fully mobile. There's, yeah. I know there's walking tracks around uh, our, our city where they are like are called a grade one, where they are wheelchair friendly. And so there's like two or three kilometers where you can take your wheelchair and just go be immersed in nature, um, 20 minutes from home. So um, I think we're really lucky in Australia with what we have, but I know that there's a whole lot of nature in the rest of the world and 
I, I guess the decision just comes down to you if, if you want to open that door and explore it. That's it. Duncan, thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate this. I mean, we met today and your willingness to, you know, be a part of the podcast and share your wisdom. It's honestly really inspiring to me. Like I, when I go back in the classroom, I want to really, you know, push for taking my students out more and finding opportunities for my school and my students to be able to have these type of experiences and build their empathy more and understanding. And there's a lot of research as well. I know I've spoken about my personal experience and my feelings, really uh, my personal beliefs. But there is so much research. There are so many papers out there. Um, the, the British government and, and the British outdoor education field are doing so much work in this space. Um, you can Google search outdoor education or outdoor learning. And there's so many resources available um, showing the links between um, outdoor education or outdoor learning and a healthy, healthy mind, healthy body, healthy lifestyle, as well as empathy um, and problem solving and social growth. And the list goes on. Um, so it's not just my warm fuzzies inside. It's, there's more to it. It's backed <laughs> up by the research. The science is clear. I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks very much for having me. Talking with Duncan today really showed me the importance of incorporating nature into our learning and finding means in which to support outdoor education for all of our schools. While this may be the end of our class for today, I implore you to listen on. For Duncan has a partner on his worldly tours named Kaylin. Both of them have a great Instagram and podcast titled Kaylin and Dunk, spelled C-A-Y-L-I-N-A-N-D-D-U-N-C. Continue listening as we talk about activism and veganism. It's a really interesting discussion. And there will be a special appearance by environmental scientist Molly Williams. Let's check it out. And so for me, the hardest thing is finding the line on not being that person, like beating the message home, um, but still speaking from the heart and, um, and and sharing my thoughts, etc. So, yeah, I think it's been interesting. Um, and for me, I think they're all connected or interconnected in a way between um, our values, what we're doing, traveling, uh, being vegetarian, vegan, and in the environment. Um, yeah, so I think it's important to, to be passionate about what we believe in and to be actively. Like, yeah. It's funny because I mean Molly was mentioning this the other day. I think I do this more as like a coping mechanism or like a a way to, to build confidence myself almost mm-hmm. is to probably say no, I'm vegan, right? Or something like that, like or or vegetarian. But because uh, Molly was mentioning like, yeah, I wish I would. Right, what did you say? Because I was. Mm-hmm. I would say like apologetically. Yeah, I think literally in the last two months, like we were vegetarian for about two and a bit years. Mm. And then we've been vegan since we started this trip, pretty much. Like six months now. Yeah. Solid, yeah. And I'd say only in the last sort of two months have I been confident to be like a vegan. 
Like mm-hmm. I almost not embarrassed, just not confident. I don't know whether it was because people had this sort of pre like oh, I don't know the word I'm looking for, like idea. Yeah, of like what it is to be vegan or like this taboo word or it you know. But I feel like there's a million Nutella. No, this is the funny thing. We actually when we went to Italy, my cousin is vegetarian. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, shit, I'm like, I don't want to put my family out. Like, obviously, they're making all this delicious food, but, like, we're going to go be with them all the time. I don't want them to feel pressured. So, I obviously, bleeding into it, I was like, oh, my God, we'll self-cater ourselves. Like, don't worry about it. And my cousin was so passionate about eating vegan that week with us, which with her already being vegetarian. And then we left, and she was so inspired, and she's been vegan since we left. She was like, I really thought it was going to be so much harder than it was. I said, do you know what? I We said the same thing for two years. Like, in mm-hmm. our head, I was like, I just can't do that last little bit. Like, it's just too too much. And then when we did it, it was like bang on the right time for us to do it. Mm-hmm. There was no way I could have done it any earlier than what we did it. It was like right time, yeah. right mental state for it. That's, so, that's like the key. Absolutely. If you're not committed to it, I don't know. It's just so I was like. Oh, I wish I could be vegan or something. And it's like, well, if you did wish that, then you just would be. Right. You have to, like, be in the right headspace. No. And I even said to Dunk, like, would we be vegan if we were still in Perth? I don't know if we would. Like, mm-hmm. I think it wasn't as convenient as it is now for us to be vegan. Oh. Like, we, like, have the free time to cook three delicious healthy meals a day. We have the free time to research you know how to eat vegan like healthy right. sort of make sure we you know mm, getting all the nutrients that we need the trip was definitely a catalyst for it yeah, yeah. for sure mm-hmm. um uh one of my big inspirations for going vegetarian and then vegan a close friend of mine he was a vegetarian mm-hmm. i think for like nine and a half or ten and a half years mm-hmm. and then has only been vegan now for the last or whatever Mm -hmm. um and he said like it took him forever and then you just make the change Mm -hmm. um but it it taught us more than just like okay no dairy products no eggs it's like we almost relearned how to cook and be in the kitchen Mm -hmm. so it's not like you have like a steak and some vegetables and potatoes or whatever it's like we're going to move that aside because you're not mm-hmm. taking the meat out and then adding something in. We're just going to change how we eat. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it's opened us up to like so many different like, beans and legumes and random so weird veggies and, and spices yeah. and all these flavors. And right. you think about like meat in hundreds of years gone past, that was a, a food of privilege. You know, a lot of the poorer people couldn't afford meat. So they were by and large vegetarian anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been, it's been good. Yeah, it has been, hey. But I, I think like you said before about, I almost scared to say it because it does come with a lot of stigma, like, and in Australia as well, except for oil and, or after oil and gas, our number one export is beef, mm. is live beef export to wow. Asia and the Middle East. Mm. So as vegans, a lot of people have a connection to farming and all that sort of thing. So that's their livelihood as well. Right. I don't have an answer for it. I can't say, well, you need to stop this right now because it's wrong. Because their livelihood. Sure. Um, yeah. I think that is an interesting like quarrel to deal with. Is like the is how best to promote your activism, mm. right? And 
I think you were definitely on point when you mentioned like for students, it's like, you know, you present the information, you talk about it and you make a point of it, but you're not, you're not the preacher. You're not mm. the, you know, you're not dictating what they have to do. Yeah. Um, but only I'm curious about, you know, something that's like always stuck with me is kind of like this Tudu quote, like if you do nothing, this is a little bit more extreme, but if you do nothing in situations of injustice, you've sh- chosen the side of the oppressor mm. and really like the oil companies and the, you know, the meat industrial system and like a lot of these other things are like, are absolutely destroying our earth and no one's doing anything. Yeah. Right. And so it makes me want to scream, you yeah. know, it makes me want to wake the fuck up people. Yeah. Like we need to start like mm-hmm. doing shit. And, and so I, I think like, I don't know, this trip also gave, has have helped me with the willpower to like, mm-hmm. even like do that extra step for vegetarianism. And I, 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 my student is like, he's like, you know, we're going to go vegan. I'm like, okay, Brian, I'm like, oh, okay, I'll do it. But like, I think it's just like, it's helped me kind of see like, I, I can do it. Like, I, can, I have that willpower. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm, I guess, I don't know, like, what do you think about like the activism point of view? Like, how do you, you know, promote yeah. the kind of, well, and it's, it's hard. It's hard, right? And, yeah. and I don't think I've got it right yet. And sometimes I bite my tongue or I don't feel like having that sort of, argumentative conversation with someone that's just never going to be open in mind enough to understand my point of view. Mm-hmm. In Australia, there's a, um, a beef and dairy farmer uh, down, uh, maybe two hours away from Perth. Um, and unfortunately, there are some like left-wing extreme vegans who've gone down to this farm and like have trespassed with signs and have like tried to open gates to like let cattle move around. I was like, so in terms of activism, that is hard, way, way too far one way. Um, for, for me, for me. Um, I can understand what they're doing, but I think they're going about it the wrong way because all that's going to do is turn people against it. You're not going to rally support from people who don't who disagree with you doing that. Um, and then, like, this exact example, the farmer walked out of his house with a gun in his hand, let up two fires in the air and said, you're trespassing, I'm calling police which he did, and the police said, you are trespassing, get off the land. Um, so it's super hard. But um, what, two weeks ago was World Climate Day yeah. with, with Greta. With Greta yeah. um, and it was amazing, like hundreds of thousands of people all over the world um, standing up for the climate, which is predominantly why we are vegan, um, it's for the environment. Um, and so that's huge because... The, the amount that we do for the environment has no end. Um, my boss, one of the schools I work with, he said the best thing that we can possibly do for the pristine areas is to put a gate on them and not let anyone in and leave them as total wilderness, no one there. But obviously that doesn't work because we fit in these areas, we promote ecotourism, etc. and so we need to try and find that balance between showing what we have and then balancing that. Um, so, like, how, where do you draw the line? Like, is marching on Parliament with a sign saying no fossil fuels your limit? If that's your limit, great. For me, that's mm, not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I struggle with Greta in some respects. You know, she sailed across to New York because she didn't want to use fossil fuels in the plane. That's admirable, and I agree, but then, like, just go vegan. Um, the biggest change we think you can make. Me. Mm. And everyone can make it, mm. I think. 
maybe it's out of privilege to some extent. Like, not um, everyone can make it. I'd say certain people in certain countries don't have access to. Sure, but you think about like the Middle East, and yeah. you have to have access to you know the resources, the resources and education. Are, sure, education. Yeah, but I guess, and it's also, also if again, if you don't know how to do it, it's more expensive generally than yeah. Going to McDonald's and totally, yeah. yeah. See, I think that's a misconception. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of people think that veganism is expensive, mm-hmm. but I think things like tin beans and you know some chickpeas, chickpeas and, and vegetables are cheaper yeah. than meat mm-hmm. and dairy products. I think we fall under one maybe column of or type of people where we. Um, we'll go to a supermarket and we don't go straight for the vegetarian section that has vegan hamburgers and vegan sausages like or the faux meat. We would rather make up our own chickpea or lentil patties and do that. And, yeah, for sure, it takes time and effort and and the resource to get there. And that may be off-putting to people so much so that they don't want to be. Um, but even just going vegetarian, like you don't have to go vegan. Um, and even just cutting out meat. Or cutting what, down me. Cutting down me. Huge. Um, yeah. But like I said, like, and, and veganism is where I get, like, too far passionate. Like, <laughs> I know, like, I'm I'm getting riled up. I can feel it. <laughs> so I'm like, stop talking and draw the line. Um, it's important, like, though, right? You're in a safe environment to yeah. be yourself yeah. like that. Like, it's not like you have to sort of – it's funny because um, when we went to – when I met Dunk's dad and when we went to South Africa back, you hadn't seen your dad for ages. Like we were vegetarian at the time and he just like couldn't get his head around it. Like he just was just like, luckily, and he tried, but he was just like, I don't understand what you eat. Like you've taken, you've taken all of this stuff out of your diet. And like, and here's us thinking, no, we've introduced so much into our diet, like tenfold. Because like in South Africa, you'll have uh, the equivalent of a barbecue there. It's called a braai. Okay. And so on a typical Sunday afternoon braai, you'll have burabos, so big sausage. Mm-hmm. You'll have like chops. You'll have maybe steak and like chicken kebabs or like chicken wings. You have like three, four different types of meat on your plate. And then it's like, boom, it's like carnivorous and so that was huge for him to mm. try and get his head around mm-hmm. um but like the best way forward we've found in our vegetarian and our vegan journey has just been to demonstrate we eat vegan around our friends we cater for ourselves where we're not there's no expectation for others to cater to us and people ask questions yeah. and we just wait for the questions and we answer them and then i think also like where you see the largest amount of of vegans are in areas in which it's it's accessible. Yes. Right. And so, like as you mentioned, like, if you are showing the accessibility to your friends, right, then that opens up their eyes. Like, oh, okay, this is what a vegan meal looks like. Oh, okay, I guess this is not something that's so foreign and so totally out of reach. Mm-hmm. Right. I remember naively, I was um, my idol, who was oh, like big inspiration for going vegan. Nick, um, I did a hike with him, just a personal trip with a, another. Um, girl as well who's also vegan and they were cooking the dinners and I was doing other meals and we're having dinner and I, I want to punch myself in the face because oh. the first dinner we had I was like I don't think I've ever had a vegan meal I was like you fucking idiot <laughs> of course you have I was like I, I still like want to punch myself now yeah, it's, saying, it's gross. Uh, it's, yeah, but exactly. it's like but it's like 
wow. And then it's just such a, a different headspace. And they were both so supportive and like chuckled. And like, oh, I'm sure you have. You've probably had a curry, like coconut curry or something like this. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Um, but it's just that change in mentality. And like, mindset. Mindset and habit. Oh, like, totally. That's what I was going to say. So, like, if and when we have kids and we bring our kids up as vegans, well, obviously, they w- they will know about eating meat. Mm-hmm. I think we'll bring them up as vegan, and maybe they will say, "Why do people eat that? Kill it? Like kill animals mm-hmm. to eat them? Like I don't understand." Good friends of ours are vegetarian, um, but she's like so grounded with the mum, mm-hmm. and so she let her kids, if they want to, they can eat meat. She'll buy them if they want it, and one of her boys, I think, is like. 12? Six. Oh, the little one. Six. He said, because they've got um, chickens at home for, egg, for eggs, and he said one morning, he's like, Mummy, I don't want to eat the chicken anymore. I'm vegetarian. I like cuddling them more than eating them. Huh. And it's just like, she was like, yes. Like, because that needs to be learned. Yeah. Like, you, can't, you can't indoctrinate. Yeah, it's a hard one, though, because, um, like, even when we went to Greece, with our friends in July not having the van made it a little bit harder to be vegan and especially on the islands it was like kind of had access to less fruit and veg and fresh fruit and veg. And it's like, can I have the mm, Greek salad without the cheddar? Yeah. yeah. And so this scenario happened, right? And our lovely best friends, um, you know, the guy obviously never heard about vegan before, didn't even understand the word sort of thing. So you're just kind of like, yeah, can I have the Greek salad without the slab because they all by the way come with like a slab of feather and then Jeremy our friend was like oh no no get it with the cheese and I'll have your cheese and then Duncan and I like we both sort of like our hearts sort of broke because we were like that's not the point yeah the point is the consumption and that we are still sort of paying for something that we don't believe in it's supply and demand so yes just because we don't eat it but the main principle there to be learned is that we're not asking for it. Right. Cut off spine demand and then, yeah. So that was hard because it was like maybe it is it, as much as you try and explain it, I think sometimes people miss the principle behind it. Molly, I mean, you've done it for 12 years. Just vegetarian. I guess for four years I was vegan at that time. And it was like everything to me. It's like a militant yeah, I'm a militant vegan, like animal rights person. Yeah. And for environmental reasons too. And I don't know what change. I mean, I still eat probably like 90% plant based at home. Um, but like, I just stopped being like such a huge priority to me. Mm-hmm. I love cheese pizza. Yes. Cheese on nachos was hard for me. Yeah. Like, there's some things that just aren't replaceable and like that's fine I don't know I just feel like if you, the more plants you have in your diet the better you're doing pretty fine totally but yeah I mean but dairy like I, I don't eat like non-organic dairy and eggs and stuff because it's just so like the dairy industry is pretty much just as cruel as the meat industry because even though they're not killing the animals right away they're separating the mother that's what pushed us the mother in. cows and the big it's like sickening yeah it's like gone. really sickening and the, drinking another animal's milk that's for their young is like pretty creepy yeah it's pretty gross yeah it's pretty gross, yeah. it's, pretty gross. Yeah. So, it's also like funny 
because when you those things seem really hate to cut out, but once you cut them out for a little while, mm-hmm. your mindset changes and you're like, why do why you why eat those things? Yeah. Because society tells you this mm-hmm. is what we eat. Mm-hmm. And then so when you change your mindset to think differently, like, no, let's have, you know, half a plate full of veggies, some grains, you know, and some protein. Mm-hmm. It's Totally different way of thinking. Yeah. And definitely like 200 years ago, almond milk or half oh, yeah, almond yeah, rice milk didn't exist. Right? Nut milks are so good. So, like nut milk creamers. Yeah, are super so good. like for sure, we've come a long way as society, as a human race. I think now we uh, keep pushing ourselves. Yeah, I guess we're, there's enough information out there. You might not have access to it, but I think there's enough information out there to, to move forward. Yeah. Um, we literally talk about this for the rest of the night, so I won't stop. <laughs> it's been good though. Thanks for listening to me, Ram. Oh my gosh, um, you guys are the best. <laughs> it's been awesome meeting you. <laughs> <laughs>